for style, I think more about the way your content and your form are connecting. It's really easy at one level to zoom out and go, okay, this is first person. This is how I'm alternating chapters and whatnot. And, and then style is taking that sort of approach and taking it up a notch. Like, how are you deliberately constructing your sentences? Are you someone who's going to focus on setting and really make that a character? Are you going to not give physical descriptions of your characters? Like Rachel Kask, I want to say, does that? You'd never really get a sense of who physically the protagonist is and that really works for them and again it's so subjective there's no right style what's the style you're working with and you're operating under it's your choice and it's a subjective thing to sort of match make with an agent then your voice is everything from the characters and how they speak to how your narrator speaks to how you're giving uh, dialogue and prose descriptions and whatnot Hey there, welcome to Lit Match, a podcast made to help writers find the best literary agent and business partner for their writing career. Thank you so much for joining me for these meaningful conversations with literary agents where you can learn about their manuscript wishlist, how they agent, and many other invaluable publishing insights. I'm Abigail Perry, the host of Lit Match and a book coach and certified developmental editor who has also worked as an editorial intern at a literary agency. I'm always on the hunt for noteworthy literary agents who are making big differences in the world by advocating for authors and making their publishing dreams come true. I'm so excited to bring you today's guest. I had the privilege of working with this literary agent back when I worked as the agency relations assistant for PS Literary Agency, and she was a wonderful mentor and continues to be a great friend to me. It's also been so exciting to watch her career as a literary agent really take off. Any writer who gets to work with her is in such good hands. Her name is Stephanie Winter, and she is an associate literary agent at PS Literary Agency. Stephanie first joined PSLA as an intern before becoming the agency relations assistant. She holds a BA from the University of Toronto in English Literature and an MA in English, Issues in Modern Culture from University College London. Stephanie is looking for diverse, inclusive voices in a variety of spaces, and she particularly appreciates strong characters who bend stereotypes, genders, and more. We'll get into the full details of her manuscript list in this episode. So without further ado, I welcome Stephanie Winter. I am thrilled to welcome our next guest. I love Stephanie. She is so supportive. She really takes time to listen to you and her generosity and sincerity is always shining through everything she does. Thank you, Stephanie, for joining me today. I'm excited to talk to you about your manuscript wish list. Thank you so much for having me. And oh my goodness, the kind words that you just said, I very much appreciate it. And you know, I hope I can continue to show that with the creators I represent and the people I work with. It was such a pleasure working with you when we did have that connection. Thank you. Before we get into your manuscript wish list, I'd love to talk about what really brought you into agenting. I got into agency because I loved critical reading. I have, as you mentioned, a master's in English Lit, and I wanted to work on commercial titles, which isn't something that we do a whole lot in the academic route of like appreciating written words. So I knew that I wanted to work on a variety of projects in addition to that sort of commercial genre. And I'm fortunate enough that I can do that with agenting. It really presented as the perfect role for the type of work that I like to work on. I am so fortunate that I get to spend all my time doing the work with creators and I will 
shush now because I could gush about this forever, but uh, <laughs> it's been wonderful. Yeah. I'm so happy for you. What stories are you looking for right now as an agent? I would love to add a little bit more fiction on my list. I generally acquire three different pillars, adult nonfiction, adult fiction, and then graphic novels for young readers. So YA, middle grade and the like. But as I said, I'm really looking right now to fill out that adult fiction space. I love millennial suspense and thriller novels. Think Grady Hendrix's The Final Girl Support Group or like even the Courtney Summers The Project. Really that blend between something suspenseful but also something very millennial. I also really enjoyed The People We Meet on Vacation. I would love to see more of that contemporary space as well. I think those are a couple key categories that I'm looking for at the moment. That's great. So you mentioned suspense. Do you think that suspense in these books is presented the same in these types of stories or how do you see suspense and what are you drawn to with that? I like when a suspense work has an awareness of something broader than just a marital relationship. We've seen a lot of the husband did it, the wife went missing type of work and sort of the spooky suburban something's wrong in the neighborhood style. And there is a sort of space for those and I enjoy them as a reader. The space that I'm really curious about are the projects that look at a larger, broader experience. Grady Hendrix's book touched on that 90s era of slasher stories to do with Scream and the final girls. Like Courtney Summers, the project is all about the complicit nature of being in a group that isn't a cult, but is a cult and where that line is drawn and how do you get it induced to believe one thing when the reality is something very different. I, I really like the idea of, is this an unreliable narrator? Is this culturally an unreliable premise? What are we believing? What are we not? And how does that have broader cultural impact? The space I'm really curious about as we see this genre develop, colloquially speaking, I would describe my list as geeky, millennial, and gay. If there's anything in terms of those three areas that you feel is in the book that you're writing, I would probably want to take a look at the query. I love that. Geeky, millennial, and gay. That's great. Are there any titles out there? We mentioned Emily Henry's People We Meet on Vacation. And then what were the other ones that you used as comps? Courtney Summers, The Project, and Grady Hendrix's uh, Final Girls Support Group. And you mentioned Lee Steen's mm -hmm. self-care book. And is this one another story that includes these elements that you've been enjoying? On a tangential basis, yes. So it, it really is a book of millennial fiction. Mm -hmm. We are basically looking at a variety of perspectives in the self-care industry and mm -hmm. it highlights how some of these people have the best of intentions in building a inclusive space and the cracks in the facade are also shown. I love and I feel like we might have talked about this a while ago but mm -hmm. I still love anything by Andrea Bartz. The Herd was really yeah. wonderful. That was about a female co-working space. There are other sort of titles in that continuum of picking apart that influencer culture. Mm -hmm. This title, uh, Self-Care, really does pick apart influencer culture. It highlights how people are complex and hypocritical and not good people. And mm -hmm. that nuance was just fully on display from page one. So that's the type of characterization that I gravitate toward where you can identify something that can speak to an audience and the audience isn't always me, but it can really resonate on the first page with the type of person that you're creating and give us a situation that we want to know more about. It's not run of the mill. You're teaching us something new, giving us a look into something we don't get to see every day. Yep. That's the type of work I love. I love that, Stephanie, because that's part of what draws me to stories, this idea that there are so many perspectives out there that we 
don't know. We're trapped in our own perspective until we can grow and stretch ourselves because of these new perspectives. It's interesting you're zeroing in on the millennials because I feel like millennials really are coming into this new adult stage. It's interesting these generational ranges of what a millennial is and you're looking for adult fictions. Are you envisioning that the stories that would come to you mainly would be a millennial target readership or do you think that it would be expand beyond that and help stretch the perspective even more? I think it can expand beyond it. Mm-hmm. I think what's really interesting is when you have characters who are in that category, and as you said, there's a spectrum with the ages that could reflect, but it, it truly can be a focus for anybody. What I find so compelling about this type of age category is mm-hmm. we're still sort of thought of as the irresponsible teenagers who don't amount to much, don't want to work. The misconceptions that are applied to millennials don't reflect the fact that millennials have aged out of that teenager mm-hmm. space. But that's what I'm really most fascinated about because we're looking at a generation who is new or in the middle of their career. We're mm-hmm. looking at a generation who have relationships and who are growing families and who are making decisions that impact the future of this world, whether it's mm-hmm. environmental or economical. I recently saw the thumbnail of an article that was describing how the U.S. population wasn't going to necessarily keep the population number that it usually does because millennials are choosing not to have mm-hmm. children, choosing not to have so many children. So like there are big changes that are happening that they have to address generations. Impact. It's not just that the target audience for me is a millennial reader, which I would love to make sure that I have books that apply to this new generation. It's for everybody, but I'm very interested in what's happening right now in these different industries. There are so many cultural influences that come from this generation and how the world changes as people change. When you have this focus of millennials and you have this idea of what they are and how they're impacting the world, do you think that there are certain tropes that come with the story? Like is the first thing that come to mind for me is technology important in these stories, like how people work with technology? Is there anything that you see as a commonality between these types of stories that is done well and not overused? Oh, gosh, that is a really tough one. I I would say that there's some sort of contemporary awareness that the old school nods to culture have changed. Mm -hmm. We're seeing a lot more of social media and the impact that social media can have on a character's daily life. To sort of reference back to self-care, the opening page is about a co-founder of a self-care media app that's sort of an Instagram called Ritual. Mm -hmm. And she's freaking out because she had unfortunately tweeted an insensitive tweet about the first daughter. And that's in 2017. Mm -hmm. And she's getting huge internet backlash. And that's sort of where the action starts. I think social media is a big one. We're seeing that reflected a lot in how people navigate the world. We're also starting to see how people are looking at non-traditional career paths and how, again, the internet has sort of made that a possibility, influencers and the like. And I'm seeing that a lot in the backstory and the building up of these characters and these plots in different submissions. That's really great. Do you think that with this, these topics that can really dig deep into the emotional psyche of the characters, as well as what's going on with the external pressures beyond any of that, I'm wondering Is a voice and style something that is important to you and your books that you represent? Absolutely. I try to separate the two because I feel like stuff can be learned and finessed and figured out in a way that voice is a little bit more nebulous and difficult to identify. But absolutely, style and voice are sort of what make this work stand apart from others. And that's often something that sort of comes up when you're preparing your competitive titles. Is your voice similar to somebody else's? And is that why they're going to an agent or a reader is going to find it appealing? Or is your content similar to another book, but you're giving it a different sort of application of a different voice? That is 
is such a weird matchmaking component to finding the right agent for a work. It's super important. I love that you have separated the two. Voice is one thing, style is another. Can you talk to me more about what you're looking for in voice versus what you're looking for in style? For sure. For style, I think more about the way your content and your form are connecting. It's really easy at one level to zoom out and go, okay, this is first person. This is how I'm alternating chapters and whatnot. And, and then style is taking that sort of approach and taking it up a notch. Like, how are you deliberately constructing your sentences? Are you someone who's going to focus on setting and really make that a character? Are you going to not give physical descriptions of your characters? Like Rachel Cusk, I want to say, does that. You'd never really get a sense of who physically the protagonist is and that really works for them and again it's so subjective there's no right style what's the style you're working with and you're operating under it's your choice and it's a subjective thing to sort of match make with an agent then your voice is everything from the characters and how they speak to how your narrator speaks to how you're giving uh, dialogue and prose descriptions and whatnot to your novel that contributes to the tone and the voice that you're giving us. There are different hats that you're wearing as the writer who's got this whole big idea, the character who you're most often speaking through, or your narrator who you're most often speaking through. That is harder to figure out and develop on the side of keep writing. You'll eventually figure out the voice that you like that works for you. Keep reading because you'll see what you want to emulate. And that one's more of a practice develops your voice, whereas style, you can be a little bit more logical, in my opinion, about how you approach that. I think that's a really amazing insight to have. When you focus on something like voice in these comparable titles that you've mentioned before, the herd, self-care, people who meet on vacation um, in these titles, how do you think the voice differs in those books? Why is it something that drew you in? I think with those books, these characters have a sense of realism to them that makes me go, okay, yeah, I am jumping in in media res in their life and I don't know everything about them, but i believe they're real. I'm mm. getting the sense that they have an attitude, that they have their own personality. But I'm not seeing that because I've read three pages of backstory. I'm getting that because there are little sort of dialectical quirks or there are small inferences that we can make from the intimacy of the lines and the information that they're sharing with us. It really immediately sells me on clear characterization. And that's not easy. Like I can only imagine how many drafts people have gone through to get to that point. That's what sells me or what hooks me on works like those. I think it's great for writers to hear that because there are multiple drafts that need to be written <laughs> before someone queries an agent. Discovering that character and developing that character voice comes with, like you said, practice and rewriting. You mentioned the authenticity of the characters and how they really feel real to you when it comes to a character. Is that what you're looking for in those first pages or is there a balance between character and plot? That's a really good question. I generally look for a balance. My answer is unique to me, but I particularly gravitate to works that have some type of action occurring in the same breath. It's sort of like, do you want to go on a date with a character, which I know is a weird idea, and just have a one-on-one -on -one where you stare at each other and talk about each other's lives? Or do you want to learn about each other because you're doing an activity? That action in a novel that you open on page one with can be a way to get a reader interested in something that's not just learning a character, because that can feel very sometimes artificial or contrived if you're trying to give that backstory. I personally like action with that character building. Not everyone has has that same 
personal interest or preference, but uh, that's sort of mine. Do you have any tips for helping writers understand the difference between pulling us deep into their POV and grounding us in their voice versus relying on backstory to deliver that voice? For sure. Where I see that heck up a lot is when you start getting into either synopsis-like language of, well, back when this happened, or you have flashbacks early on when that doesn't really need to happen in a novel. Having a character tell us events and go, okay, wait, no, I have to tell you about this. This happened back when I was 15, three months ago, but now I'm 16 and something else has happened. That stumbling over the language that has naturally happened as I'm trying to explain what I mean. There's a certain verboseness that you get when you're trying to give character backstory and have it function as solely character backstory versus if you are storytelling and you're saying, okay, I have to go talk to Abigail. She's at work at the coffee shop and you're able to give us a couple different ideas about who you are, what you're doing, how this person knows this person. There are inferences that you can build off of a few subtle lines that your character isn't going to explain to themselves how they know Abigail. They're going to think, okay, I just have to go do this thing. So being able to integrate and infer your detail for the inferences for your reader to infer rather. Mm -hmm. That's what for me is something that works really well for the type of works that I like to represent and what I like to read. That makes a lot of sense. Sticking to the character and what would be natural for them and letting it Mm -hmm. unfold from there. The term attitude gets thrown out a lot when it comes to especially first person POV limited and just in general when it comes to voice. Could you define what attitude means to you and how you start to recognize it as something that you're really drawn to specifically in these titles? I immediately think of it being a synonym for opinionated. Like what does this person value? What do they not value? Is that consistent with the other elements that you're bringing into their characterizations? You often see a lot of, or at least I'd see a lot in my slush piles, an effort to make that very punchy, very memorable, opinionated protagonist on page one. Sometimes it really works for me and sometimes it doesn't. And often when it does work, it's because the details are consistent and they're on display for a reason. And that ties with what we were just discussing, where we're seeing the attitude come through a given scene, an interaction with another character. We're seeing it because it makes sense in the scene. We all gut check when we're out in social situations, the attitude of other people and if we like them or not. And so it's highly subjective, but attitudes that support the intended audience's interests or tastes can be useful to think about. Attitude is so subjective that you're not going to appeal to everybody, but you don't want to appeal to everyone because if you appeal to everyone, you end up appealing to nobody. Having that level of realism where everything makes sense, that's the goal that I look for. That's great because I think it provides some clarity on what that term means. Thinking about the relationships that you have between your you as the agent and your clients. Sometimes writers, I think, can find the agenting relationship mysterious. If you could clear the air and explain what happens after a writer signs with an agent or a creator signs with an agent, what's usually expected to happen? It varies depending on what the project they're first wanting to work on is. It's nonfiction. You'll be looking at writing a proposal. If it's fiction, you're working on polishing the manuscript. While it's different for everyone, the role of an agent has many hats. When I sign the client, we'll work on developing the angle of their book if it's nonfiction. Or I'll write up an editorial letter and text notes for the manuscript if it's fiction. We generally will polish the work until it's ready for submission. And I'm here to answer any questions and help create a strong positioning for the work, whether that means 
figuring out how the creator needs to receive feedback so that they can best process the information or adjusting to their communication style so that they can process the information. That's what I'm here to do. And then in the meantime, I'm building a submissions list. I'm speaking to my contacts, getting a list lined up of the right editors, the right imprints for the project. And then if a book gets an offer, I'm negotiating that deal and later the contract. I'm here to liaise when it's time to work with the publisher and sort of be the support system that's constant in an industry where the editor might leave, the uh, editor is there, but then you're dealing with the marketing and publicity team. You're dealing with so many different people. Uh, your agent is your one constant. Uh, and then I'm in conversation with the author at all times to make sure that we're finding the right home for the work that sets them up for future success. So it's a lot of things, but it's also very much in conversation with the author and what they need. If they know that they need a little bit more of editorial support, building a proposal, that's what I'm here to do. If they know what they want to do, but they need someone to look at it at the end of the day and just give them a sort of professional check over, I'm there for that as well. It's different for everybody. I love how you are using the word constant as the agent's relationship with the client, because that is something that I have always so respected and admired about literary agents and that they really do feel like they're their creators constant in all of these stages. Like you said, you're doing multiple things. You're wearing various hats all the time. I think having that relationship also is of an area where they can grow trust and act out of a shared passion for the stories, which starts with their book, which is great. You are an associate literary agent and sometimes writers might be confused about what an associate literary agent is versus literary agent versus senior literary agent. Could you clarify what those terms mean and how they work in the industry? It's different for every agency. For my agency, it is our more junior agency position. And, and what that really means is that my list is still growing. I am hungry for content and I have room on my list to grow. For example, if you're writing nonfiction in the lifestyle, well-being, or cultural critique categories, I want to see it. And that's a space I am eagerly looking to fill my list. There are opportunities with more junior agents to work with them a little bit more collaboratively because they have a smaller client list. It allows you to have an agent who is freshly mentored to really, there's not a huge difference, but it means that this person is actively looking to build their list. That might be an opportunity for you to find an agent who is super passionate about what you're writing about, but also has no conflict in being able to represent it. Thinking about being hungry for this list, how are you thinking about specializing in the content? And how do you see yourself as being that unique, special agent that can and bring something special to the industry and to the clients. Yeah, absolutely. I have a strong academic and editorial background, so I can objectively see the style that you're writing within, and I can help you tailor to make sure that your style comes out strongly, but also has the content that you need to have in a book to sell the books. I can be that editorial support. I know I get a lot of authors asking if I'm an editorial agent. My answer is yes. Yep. And then above and beyond, I'm so excited about publishing because books open doors to new experiences and worlds and can make people feel less alone and more empowered. Whether we're talking about fiction or nonfiction, I always want to be able to say that the works that I represent can offer a reader a new perspective, a new skill to take with them. This doesn't need to be entirely large global change, but it can be creating a community for a group of people. It could be resonating with someone who wants to tailor their lifestyle. I am very interested in that specialty and that space of creating a community. And that can look like so many different things. If you have similar interests and alignments, then I am hopefully the agent for you. I love how you're looking at stories about creating community. You mentioned that you do see yourself as more of a hands-on agent. You work with them on the editing. 
before I go off to an editor. How does the relationship with your editors work and how do you separate yourself as an editing agent from when they start to work with the editors? It's a fairly smooth transition. The line that at least I hope I make clear is that I have the editorial insight as to how we could present a title to sell it. And then when you are working even at the deal stage, you're having a conversation with an editor who is saying, this is what I love. This is maybe the direction of where I would take the book. It's a similar matchmaking process where you're confirming the editor that you're signing up with Mm -hmm. to the imprint that you're signing with. It is also part of that shared vision for the project. That's where my editorial role takes a step back. I'm, of course, CC'd on emails here to support and communicate if there's challenges with the communication. But the editor that the author is agreeing to work with and the imprint or the publisher that they're agreeing to work with, they have already discussed where they see the work going. That's where they take on that editorial role for publishing the book. My role for the editorials to get them to that deal. It sounds like you establish these relationships with editors and certain editors are looking for specific stories. How do you go about building those relationships with editors and knowing who's going to be the best fit for your clients? It's a healthy amount of networking, a considerable dose of research. I pay attention to who can newly acquire, who has moved imprints, lots of social media, sort of checkups and whatnot. And there are a lot of public resources in addition to personal resources. I talk to the editors and I communicate and you're always constantly keeping an eye on developments there are in different imprints and publishing houses. Those communications often allow you to get the work in front of the right people. That's awesome. If there were writers that wanted to query you for a certain genre, but then wanted to do something different, is that something that you're open to? I found that generally speaking, there are two parts. For myself, there are very few genres that I'm not willing to take a look at. For example, I'm not the best fit for very high Game of Thrones fantasy. But beyond that, I'm very interested in speculative works, that liminal space between something that's more fantastical and something that's contemporary. There are a lot of areas that I'm curious about and I'm happy to expand into depending on what the creator is thinking of. But for PS Literary and our work, I would say that we are collaborative. There are opportunities to make sure that if your agent isn't the best fit for a new genre, we'll look internally before we give any other recommendation. Being mindful if the agency is reflective of your belief system. And that's also something, especially when you're looking at junior agents who don't necessarily have a long public track record that can help you as an author decide if that's the agency you want to go with. What the agency is doing as a whole can speak volumes as well. And when you're thinking of community relationships that you're building internally as well as externally, I also thinking about the ways of how writers can start to find agents. Is going through this slush pile the best way that they find their community and where they're working with agents? Or are there other opportunities like conferences that you think you'd recommend to writers? I know there's a lot of, maybe I am just seeing the doubt on Twitter about if slush piles are effective. For me, I find slush piles are absolutely effective. I've signed from the slush pile. I very much enjoy being able to see, okay, they have looked up what genres I represent. They're doing their research and they've managed to find me who really is excited about your query. So yes, slush piles are a great way to find an agent. Also, social media is a good resource as well. I've come very close to signing creators from conferences. They can be a really useful place to connect with agents. But I also like to say with conferences, they're a really great resource to learn and get feedback from an agent rather than just pitch them because that agent you've got for maybe it's 10 minutes, maybe it's 15, you've got them in front of you and you can 
ask them questions. You can pick their brain and get feedback on your pitch. You might not see a offer of representation from the one-on-one that you had at a conference, but what it does allow you to do is get like 20 manuscript requests based off of the feedback that they suggested you edit your query. There's so much opportunity there. I will sum up by saying, yeah, slush pile is absolutely a strength. Any conferences specifically that you've really enjoyed attending? I'm a really big fan of the writing day workshops. They are all over the U.S. They have some conference workshops. They have one-on-one pitches. And they're really all about sort of getting your work in the best shape for going out on submission and connecting with agents and editors. That's fantastic. And I love that as writers can be working on their craft, they can be connecting with other writers at the same time. That's huge. Being able to connect with other people, having that built-in writers group who is not going to mince their words and give you constructive feedback, who can at least even be a support group because you're not alone. Querying is hard and long and somewhat disappointing because you're bound to get rejections. Having a support group that is doing the exact same thing as you and then you have a success story for one of them gives you hope. Yes, thank you so much for sharing all those resources. When you are looking for a great query in the slush, are there any red flags that writers should be avoiding or anything specifically that they should be definitely applying to their query? This is a really simple one. But doing your homework and making sure that you're addressing the query to the person that you intended to, making sure that you're following any submission guidelines unique to the specific agency. A lot of authors will personalize their work, but they'll personalize it in a generic way where we can see that they've sent this email broadly and they haven't tailored it to the agent. Being able to have all of that sort of cosmetic formulaic elements to querying accurate is a huge benefit because there are so many people who don't do that. It sets you apart because we're not getting stuck on the fact that you addressed it to someone who doesn't work at our agency. Being able to have that very easy formula standard of making sure that everything is accurate in your query already puts you ahead of the game. Is it just the query letter that they send or are there different submission guidelines at PSLI? We have started asking for a 10-page sample. I do recommend going on to our submissions guidelines page because the samples vary slightly depending on the type of work that you're doing. But yeah, it's usually a three paragraph query and a sample material. And if you have caught our intrigue, you will have us reaching out asking for more. Awesome. I hope that everyone who has been listening is eager and biting at the bit to query Stephanie if you are a good fit for her and she's a good fit for you. At the end of every podcast, I do like to do a lightning three. I ask you three quick questions that you can answer in one sentence or word. (laughs) If you're ready for that, we'll move into the lightning three. And my first question is, what are you not looking for? High fantasy. As in Brandon Sanderson or Game of Thrones? Yeah, either or anything super out of this world with the world building. Okay. My second question is, you mentioned that in addition to adult fiction, which is high up on your list, especially in that millennial category, you represent graphic novels. And we didn't really talk a lot about graphic novels. What in a graphic novel are you looking for? One sentence. Okay, that's (laughs) (laughs) If it extends, that's okay. I am looking for... Stories that have very accessible and contemporary heart so we can connect, but they could also have speculative elements. 
I'm going to tag on a bonus question for that one. Do they have to be both the illustrator and the writer or can you represent a writer and not the illustrator or do you represent the illustrator and not the writer? It can be either. It's a little bit easier if the author is also the illustrator. Perfect. My third and final Lightning 3 question for you is if you could have represented any book that has ever been published, what would it be and why? Oh my God. Just an easy one, you know? (laughs) Just an easy one. Oh my gosh, I can think of 12. Laura Dean keeps breaking up with me. It is an amazing graphic novel. It's so heartfelt. The art is brilliant. The color is gorgeous. And it has become a very important book in representation for queer love stories. So I love it so much and I would have loved to represent it. Awesome. Now give me, because that was a graphic novel. Let's give me an adult fiction millennial one. Okay. This one's easy. Andrea Bart's The Herd. It Mm -hmm. is, I guess, so millennial, very incisive and very smart and doing something in that sort of thriller space that isn't the husband did it. So I love that. Those are great answers. Stephanie, I adore every opportunity I get to talk with you. I learn so much. I really enjoy our conversations and I so appreciate your generosity of time and information that you've shared with us today. Thank you so much. I love talking about books and about books with you. It's so much fun and I've had a great time this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me for this conversation on Lit Match. You can find Stephanie's full manuscript wishlist, where to find her, and the books highlighted in this episode in the show notes. If you liked listening to my conversation with Stephanie and would like to hear more episodes with literary agents, please pass the show on and write a review. Rating and writing a review is one of the best ways to support a podcast, and it will help me reach more writers who are ready to query, need help with the research part of finding a literary agent, or who want to improve their writing craft. If you have any questions or recommendations for LitMatch, please email me at abigailkperry at gmail.com and I'll do my best to answer you. I hope you'll join me next week for more episodes of LitMatch. In the meantime, keep writing. I genuinely can't wait to hear when you sign with the best literary agent for your business and writing career and celebrate your book when it comes out.